Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Tiny homes, they're so popular. Everyone's talking about them. Everyone's trying to build them. It often comes up because housing, it's not accessible always for everyone, right? It's wild. And I know a lot of you who are maybe more conscious about your footprint or you like things cozy, you're really interested in the whole tiny home thing. So on today's episode, I'm chatting with Benj. He's a listener of the My Millennial Money podcast and Yeah, we just have a chat about his own tiny home journey. His story, it isn't going to be the same as everyone else's, but it might encourage you with your own tiny home or it might just answer questions that you may have had. We do answer questions from the Facebook group and it's just a really good chat and I just love hearing stories from different people throughout our community. So let's have a chat with Benj about his journey building a tiny home. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Okay, so I'm with Benj, who's joining us to talk about all the tiny home stuff. Before we get into the chat, I'm going to throw to Benj to do an acknowledgement. Benj. Hey, Glenn. Happy to be here. wanted to, first of all, acknowledge the Jabarung people who are the traditional custodians of the land that I'm recording on today. We're situated off the eastern side of the beautiful Garyward Mountain Ranges in Western Victoria, and I'd wholeheartedly like to pay my respects to the, uh, their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd really like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who might be listening to this podcast elsewhere in Australia or even, yeah, possibly somewhere else in the world. Absolutely wonderful. And we are recording on dark and young country. So there you have it. Now, I've just got a heap of questions from the Facebook group that I'm just going to throw to you. Some of them you might not be able to answer, which is fine. Uh, We're just having a chat here. But let's just rewind. Uh, Tell me a little bit about you, your situation, what you do for life, what you wanted to create, why you wanted to create it. And and then we'll just see where uh, this little ride takes us. Yeah, geez. Um, I guess it depends how far back you want to go with this. <laughs> well, I don't care what school you went to as a child. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, maybe, uh, like, well, what do you do yeah. for work? Uh, so I work as a project firefighter here in um, Garyward, uh, also known as Grampians National Park in Victoria. Um, I started this job in 2018, came on for the 2018-19 fire seasons as a pretty fresh face on the fire crew and um, went straight into one of the craziest fire seasons, yeah, going around. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for the last, well, ever since then, uh, so the last three seasons and fourth season, including this one. Uh, but yeah, I guess we moved back in 2018 
uh, back to the Grampians because I originally grew up here. Yeah, I'd purchased a block off my mum. Uh, she'd subdivided this block from our original block that I grew up on. Uh, it's just like a little two-acre block. Uh, yeah, so I moved back with the dream of building a, a little house on it. Yeah, which I started, like we poured the slab in 2018. Um, in May, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I poured the slab and my dad said to me straight away, yeah, well, there's no turning well, no, sorry, there's no turning back now, mate. Like, you're all in. <laughs> so. Wow. So, okay. So, I'm just going to unpack a couple of things there's here. There's a lot there. Uh, sorry, mate. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fine. You purchased, your mum and dad split the block? Uh, yeah, it goes a bit deeper than that. They um, So, they ran accommodation on the 120 acres that uh, we had when I was growing up. Dad and mum built some unique cottages down one end of the block, it was like a rectangle, and we lived on the other end. Um, sure. They ran it as a business and then eventually they parted ways and became neighbours. <laughs> Dad built another yeah. cottages down there and lived there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, eventually, so they eventually continued to subdivide just small blocks off. They did two each and then, um, you know, I bought one off mum. And how big is your plot? It's uh, just over a hectare. Um, yep. So I guess, yeah, two acres, pretty yep. much. And do you have a, a relationship, a partner? Do you live by yourself? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, I've got a beautiful partner, Holly, who uh, lives with me. Uh, we live together uh, in the house yep. uh, that we've built. Yeah. Um, it's situated on sort of one side of the block, um, but we were also living in a little shack over in the corner of the block um, for about two and a half years Well. While we're building this house. Um, and yeah, we've been living in the house now for, geez, I think since we got the occupancy permit in November 2020. So it's that, like 15, 16 months or something. Yeah. And it's really good for me to do this interview with you because I had wanted to do one around tiny homes for some time. And I think it's good that you actually have been through the process but you've also lived in it for, you know, coming up to 18 months. Yeah. So yeah. you really have a really good understanding of what it's like to, to live in a, a tiny home. Now, just on the tiny home that you have, and I will shout out the Instagram. If everyone wants to just have a look, if you're not driving or whatnot, Nook on the hill, but Nook underscore on underscore the underscore hill, uh, smash that follow button, give... Uh, give Benj a follow and just scroll through and there's lots of photos of him building the tiny home. What got you really, I guess, thirsty for tiny homes before you started? Oh, well, there's so many reasons. Uh, first of all, like I guess it's it's important to prefix this with that uh, this tiny home is a permanent structure. So it's, it's built on the land, on a slab, and it's not on a trailer. Uh, I don't know, like it, originally it was down to it was down to budget. Like I thought that by building small, I would be able to afford to to build a house. Um, and I sort of had a rough idea of how much I wanted to spend on the house, which uh, was so far off what it actually cost, but that's all right. What do you think it cost you? I reckon for the structure itself, it would be 140000 Uh But I reckon all up, like with everything else that's on the block, like the garden, water, mm. power, Everything's probably it's probably around one hundred and eighty thousand. That's including 
tools purchased for the project and all of the planning permits and um, engineering sign-off and everything um, that would have cost, yeah, I think I cost about 12 grand before I'd even broken ground. So yeah, yeah there's additional, there's a lot of additional costs. And so going back to this concept that you and Holly obviously wanted a tiny home, like it sounds to me, it's got to be about more than the money as well. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lifestyle. Um, like I said, like it definitely started off as like, oh, maybe this is the only size house that I can actually build. But uh, yeah, it turned into more more than that. And it, it was already more than that. I guess it, by building small, you have a minimal footprint impacted on the on the earth you're building on. And so by that, especially if you're building on a slab, it means there's less concrete involved, which is environmentally sustainable well more environmentally friendly than using more concrete Mm. and i guess by building small you can be a lot more smart um it forces you to downsize your life and not store so many things or have too many unnecessary things uh i mean we still have a container we still have a little garden shed so there's plenty of room for lots of things to get stored up that probably shouldn't be here but that's okay and I think it just gave me the opportunity to flex a bit of design. Like you're setting up this parameter where it's fixed. You know, you've only got this much space, <laughs> this much space to do what you can with it. And you've got to be as smart as possible to get as much out of every centimetre in the house, which really like that, that pushes you pretty hard. What's the uh, square metreage of your tiny home? Uh, so to the outside perimeter of the house, it is four meters by six meters. But being on the inside, uh, you've got a double brick wall which is two hundred and seventy mil thick on the whole perimeter. So you're taking like almost half a meter off. So you know it's well under. It's probably like three and a half meters wide on the inside, and yeah, six uh, maybe five and a half on the inside long. And so the actual usable space, yeah, six by. Tr- six by four downstairs, so 24 metres downstairs. And then upstairs, it's about, it's got like a mezzanine floor. So it's sort of two thirds the size of the house, which is another, I guess. Yeah. And I turn my, I turn my head not to be uh, rude, but <laughs> realistically, it may be a little bit smaller than a double car garage. Yeah. Like downstairs. You're probably not wrong. You're not wrong. Mm. I mean, if you park so the car you, in this house, wh- you'd probably. Yeah. Where do you park your car? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we just park outside, yeah. And then upstairs is, yeah, mezzanine, half of that. Um, yeah, so you're so, looking at about 36 metres to use. Yeah. So you really like the idea of small, cosy, uh, less of an environmental impact. You know, we've got the double brick, so that's insulation. Um, yeah. And I'll get you to say what you've what else you've done. But also I'm hearing like, yeah, we've got less storage stuff, so we're not buying more stuff just because. So we have to live intentional. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, Holly and myself um, aren't really, you know, we don't buy too many material objects. Um, we sort of really think about things before we we purchase them already. So, I mean, that was already playing into our hand a bit. But, yeah, certainly living in it now, like, um, I mean, <laughs> some friends offered to give us like a food processor for free. And Holly was keen to take it and I was just like, oh, mate, where are we even going to put that thing? Like there's no yeah. room for it. So, yeah, we took it. It's in the, it's in the container. <laughs> um, just turn your camera around just so I can have a bit of a, a look sure. live on air. 
Um, so I'm on the bed at the moment. Um, okay, and you're upstairs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, oh, a little stairwell. Oh wow. So just stop there for a second. The bed overlooks out the window, and you can probably see this on Instagram. Yeah. Really nice, solid timber, open like glass. So that whole wall is basically a, a big timber frame and truss with glass. So that's just amazing looking out to the hills of the country. Yeah. Um, see through balustrade. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Lots of natural light. Yeah, lots. Um, and I mean, that came with a lot of challenges. Yeah, making the entire front facade out of beams and glass was uh, a bold, mm. a bold decision from somebody who's never built a um, house before. <laughs> yeah, but uh, made it work. So, on the building, did you do own a builder, or did you pull the trigger and get a company to build that for you? Uh, no, I built the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I built the whole thing myself as an owner builder. I mean, obviously, there's people that come in and out as contractors and friends and whatnot who help you with some of the grunt work and their specialty because um, there's just some things you can't do yourself legally as well. Uh, but yeah, on so, the whole, like I, I pretty much did everything except for the plumbing, the brickwork, and the slab, although I did help uh, pour the slab. And the electrical? Uh, so my brother's a Sparky. So yeah, yeah cool. He and I work together and and do that together. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're going, and there are questions here with the council, like what happens, like is there, I have no idea, like I just saw the bush, like are you guys on town water anyway? Uh, no, like we collect our own water here, yes. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a we've got a bore as well um, for the house. So that supplies into a big tank uh, and then we utilise that. Uh, we are on the grid for electricity. Uh, but, but is there t- like is there town water anyway? If you could, uh, yeah, it's like a it's about a k and a half away. So yeah, yeah. so it's not really feasible. Yeah, like getting yeah. out is just yeah, be extreme. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people out here, yeah, just collect their own water. And what about um, waste and sewage? Is there like is it a septic type situation? Yeah. So with the set, we've got a septic. Um, yeah. A lot of people have wastewater treatment systems which run constantly and provide airflow and treat the, the waste. But uh, there's a rule around here that if you have over a hectare, you can have a, uh, a septic system. So so just explain that to people just so they really understand. Uh, so a septic system works where all of the waste from the house um, is collected in a like a holding tank with a baffle. I'm just going to explain it really rudimentarily. Yeah. But um, yeah, all totally. of the waste goes into one side of the tank um, and it ferments, I guess, and then moves slowly over into the other side and continues to decompose and then it becomes like liquid form. It moves out of the other side of the tank and then it goes down into what's called just a trench uh, and that trench then disperses the waste water out under the ground. Um, and there's three trenches here, which is quite quite big. We've only used the the first trench by the looks of the grass growing on it. But, um, yeah, it just disperses underground and then sort of just returns into the soil or evaporates out through the top of the soil. Um, so I guess, like, it, it's, it's returning. And you would, have had to, you would have had to pay to have all that installed, like it wasn't on your yeah. portion of the land anyway? Uh, yeah, so that is situated out the front of the house um, and I had to pay, um, like, a special dude, like a plumber to come and, come and put that in. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I helped with that too, but just, yeah, with measurements and whatnot. And 
you're harvesting your own water. Are you getting enough water into the tanks from the smaller roof size because you've got a smaller capture area? Like, how are you doing that? No, yeah, no. So we don't capture any water off the roof. We just use the bore water, which we oh, have okay, a you're triple, triple stage filter, UV filter, yep. and just run it. It's drinkable, like straight out of the hole. But um, yeah, we we still filter it, uh, and then we use. But you like brush your teeth with it. You're, like, you're not in. Yeah, no, 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 it's, yeah. it's actually, it's delicious. Like, it's great. Uh, when we were living yeah, in the shack, wow. we were just drinking, <laughs> drinking it straight out of the hole with no filtration. So, wow. It's all good. Wow. Like, it's, yeah, when they did it, they tested it and they're like, this is just pure, which is mm. awesome. No giardia. Love it. <laughs> now, so we've covered sewage, water, uh, electricity. Uh, electricity. So, uh, we're on town supply, but have we got battery? We've got solar as well. Uh, we don't have a battery just because of the budget. Couldn't, couldn't sure. really allow it. Um, so we're on grid and that's support. So, sorry, we're on solar, but that is supported by the grid. Um, we've got a four and a half kilowatt system on there. And I've set it up so hopefully in the future we can get batteries when they're a bit more viable. But um, at the moment, like it's amazing. Like they're really high, high wattage panels. So there's 11 of them and that makes up the four and a half kilowatts. So, yeah, they can really suck it in like it's good. Um, and I think over summer we've paid, I think we had to pay like a $30 per month service charge. Um, and then with the credits, it's like five bucks or something for the electricity to use. Just for my own curiosity, what brand of solar panels did you go with? Yeah, so we're with SunPower solar panels with um, Enphase microinverters, which are AC microinverter. Yeah. Um, and I went with those because... I sort of had this rule for the project, which is like the buy once, cry once rule um, and yep. just buy quality mm. whenever you can, like buy the best thing that you can afford basically and you hopefully mm. won't be disappointed. But yeah, so the, basically the panel comes with the microinverter and they are both guaranteed for 25 years of use with like a really small degradation of like 92% output by mm. the end of that 25 years. With the... Um you know, you've got double brick, which is awesome for insulation. Yep. You've got a yep. concrete slab, which is awesome for insulation. Um, Some, somewhat, yeah. 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 Um, now, you've got a big glass wall, which can be awesome and terrible. Yep. Uh, so, <laughs> what are you doing in the extreme colds and the extreme heats, hots or whatever, in extreme heat? I was trying to be cool by saying extreme colds and hots. Say it away, mate. Yeah, so I guess the glass facade was me being incredibly naive coming into this project and thinking that I can just do what I want because it, it effectively faces west, which is not really where you want to face too many of your windows. And basically, that is all of the glass in the house. Um, but so, why did you, <laughs> yeah, sorry, why did you do that? Why wasn't it north? Was it because of the view or the view? Yeah, I basically wanted to try and employ. Uh, systems like utilizing insulation, a really good glass, and just building techniques that would prevent the ambient temperature from getting in, um, but also uh, the UV. So the glass has a like a layer or a coating um, which reflects about seventy percent of the UV rays. So by stopping the UV the sun doesn't get right in, heat up the house, like heat up the floor, heat up the walls, um, and then 
release all of that heat during the day and night. Uh, it is sort of doing that a little bit, but not as much as it would if you were to use just a, a standard double glazed window. So yeah, I did have to pay extra to get this solar band. It's called coating on on the glass, but um, definitely well worth it. Uh, and now we've lived in it for a couple of summers. Uh, I'm looking to get some blinds on there as well, just to ma- mainly to stop the glare. But yeah, it's pretty good. Like there's, it's still it's facing in a good direction. That in the summer, the sun goes over. So I didn't just like dump it west and say like let's hope for the best. It's like put it slightly west. It's kind of like northwest, and the sun sure okay. the sun does pitch over, and the eaves are there to help. So in the mm. hottest months, it's sort of going over the front, and there's still light that gets in, maybe a couple of meters. And I'm just hopeful, yeah, when we get some blinds and stuff, it'll stop that sort of that sort of sun. But in the winter, it sort of sets over to the front and sends in some really nice light and heats the place up a bit. You don't have a, a small fireplace or an air conditioner? Yeah, we do have air cons. I didn't want to put um, a fireplace in because it would be only used like, well, actually barely use it in this house anyway. Mm. Uh, in, the wi- in the winter, like it's just the floor might get a little bit cold, but um, we'll put a rug down and sort of fix that. But yeah, well, we have a we have a split system air conditioner unit. So there's one unit outside which has two indoor units inside. Uh, and I put those in. So one's down in the dining, sorry, the, the living area uh, and the other one's upstairs in the, in the bedroom. And I just wanted to do that because <laughs> I guess I had no idea at the start, but I just wanted to put a fail safe on in case like I really stuffed up here and mm. it just got way too hot in the house. So there's two of them. Um, but we don't use them that often, really. We've got a skylight, so there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity. So I designed in windows that are like operable downstairs and upstairs, while just the skylight, and you can get a lot of cross cross ventilation happening when there's slight breeze outside. It really sends the air in, and it sort of circulates up the stairway and around the bedroom, and then out out the skylight. So that works really well. So if you weren't morning people, you are now with all that light. Yeah, it's. It's interesting though, like it's a really gentle, gentle light because I mean the sun's getting up behind us and it's sort of yeah. like it's amazing. You just watch the mountains because we can see these ranges here and you just watch the shadow line from behind the house just come down the mountains and slowly lighten up the house. Mm. I mean, yeah, definitely if you weren't a morning person, it might be a bit hard, but uh, it's pretty beautiful, like it's stunning. What did you do? So did you put extra long eaves on? Because you've got quite a pitch. So I've seen like longer eaves for um, yeah, some yes. type of um, self-thermal yeah. or heating. To, or stop, um, to stop some degrees of summer sun coming in and yeah. allow yeah. some degrees of winter sun to come in. Yeah, yes. um, not really. On the front there's sort of a slight eave. I think it's about 400 mil, uh, which protrudes out the front and it's just using like the outside perimeter of the structure. So it's basically the basic house shape and it shoots out the front um, and that sort of stops a bit of the sun for like the first half of the day and into the early afternoon, especially in summer. Um, mm. I haven't actually finished the window in the kitchen, which is on the north side. I'm going to build like a tress, like sort of a, oh, I just guess like an eave out the front that you can sort of grow a plant over, which would be nice. But out the side entrance to the south, I've got like a nice sort of entrance made out of hardwood that blocks that late summer sun. And yeah, I sort of, about, I sort of thought about like whether I should have made the eaves longer, but I don't think they would have had too much of an effect with this in this case. And yeah, I feel like I've used like 
some good technical systems to reduce temperature transfer from outside and UV and everything like that. So the house is like really well insulated. Um, so what did you use on the roof? For insulation or for uh, cladding? Or like the... Uh, yeah, cladding is it colour bond and then heaps of insulation yeah, just, under it. It's just Australia's favourite uh, monument, colour bond. Um, yeah. There is some insulation underneath. Uh, there's a fair bit actually. So the cavity in the roof is about, I think it's a, I think it's a 250, 270 mil perlin, uh, which is crammed with, so that's like 270 mil of gap, mm. which is crammed with um, insulation, but... Uh, which I actually recycled wool out of a carpet factory in Melbourne. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so like where I can, I've tried to use environmentally sustainable materials like every opportunity. Um, what other um, materials have you used that were environmentally sustainable? Uh, well, pretty much, pretty much everything. So all of the timber in the house except for the framing uh, in the upper storey walls, um, which is just pine, all of the other timber is recycled hardwood. Uh, some of it's out of basketball courts. So picked up an old basketball court from Camperdown, um, picked up somebody's hardwood floor in their their farm kitchen that they'd like made 30 years ago and rough grading, so just went down there and picked it up. Uh, what else? There were some purlins and stuff out of an old warehouse that got pulled down in Melbourne that I used for the staircase. Uh, oh, yeah, a friend, <laughs> a friend was pulling down their old pig farm and there was just heaps of iron bark there and I just went in and just loaded up the trailer, took it home yeah, nice. and worked that into the handrail of the staircase, the bathroom door. Like everything is just literally recycled where I possibly can. So if you were to say the big pots of cost, would you say the – you said there was like 12 grand of council approval like DA stuff? Uh, not, a, not in the council approval itself, but in gathering all that paperwork, the final costs are like 12, I think it's about 11, 12 grand. So basically, the, I think the council fees, you've got to get like a planning permit, which is like, these have probably changed by the way, but for me, yeah. it's I think 2,200 bucks and then the building permit oh, might have been like a grand Maybe a bit more. Um, and, then there's- and I guess because you're in the, the bush as well, you've got to do all the fire stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the bushfire management statement. So somebody comes, you can do it yourself, but it's way better mm. to, trust me, just pay a professional to do this. Um, get yeah. somebody in, they'll do an assessment of the location of the house, where it's going to be going, and then they assess the immediate surroundings, but then also the surroundings further out. Um, and they basically make an assessment of the threat to the zone where the house is going to be and how if a fire came through and from what particular direction, how threatened that house would be and how it would need to combat against uh, the flame exposure. Um, so mm. there's a few different ratings. When I did it, I think it's still the same. It's like a bell, so a bushfire attack level of 12 and a half, I think 19 then 29 and a half, and then 40 plus. Um, and that's just varying degrees of flame exposure. So I think when it gets above 40, it's like you're in direct flame, like mm. just belting the house. So, yeah, when you get that statement, it basically means that you have to build the house within the parameters of each bell rating. Uh, so, yeah, it just determines what sort of materials you've got to use. Yeah, so yeah. if it was a higher bell rating, you know, you can't have timber and you 
extreme, you'd probably have to have sprinklers in the roof and an extra tank and yeah. all that stuff dedicated yeah, to Yeah, I'm not too sure in extreme, but yeah, definitely for the other levels, you can only use certain types of hardwood on the external. You have to have toughened glass. Um, mm. You have to have cladding that will be has been you know, raided for fire. Uh, you have to block up a lot of your gaps for ember attack. You have to have... Um, like steel, like a metal flywire to stop embers getting through, like burning through nylon ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, like bricks and everything, obviously. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty extreme. <laughs> so just on the um, money side, did you get a mortgage for the tiny home? Uh, I did not. Um, I was in a very, I guess you could say, advantageous and also... Trusted position, fortunate position, say, say however you want, I guess. But um, yeah, so I cash flowed it myself while I was building um, and working in the firefighting position. But I also loaned money, a significant amount of money from my dad and also portions from my mom and my partner, Holly. And I mean, like that was incredible. It's re- like, I don't really know what the process uh, would be to get a mortgage if mm. you're an owner builder. Um, it might be quite uh, it's, hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it might be I, a nightmare. To I, I, yeah. yeah, I think it's. Um, we'll take that on notice, and we'll talk about that on another episode. I think, but yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's it's you need higher LVRs. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, lower LVRs, and just on the land. Did you have a mortgage on the land? No. So uh, basically, the way that it happened was uh, my dad. He sold up and he retired um, when he was eighty. Um, he's a he was a fairly he was a fairly bit old, tad bit older than myself. Uh, he was a bit of an older dad, um, not a bad thing. Mm. But uh, mm. he sold up when he was eighty. He retired the uh, accommodation business and moved over to live with his partner in in Rosebud. Um, and then uh, yeah, eventually he knew that I wanted to build a house. Um, I had say had my own savings and I wanted to start with that. And he offered to loan me a significant amount of money to purchase the land from mum and then and that left me a little bit of money left over to also bankroll the initial building of the house, like getting it to that sort of shell stage. Mm. Do you mind me asking, like with the loan to mum and dad, is there a, a payment plan? Are you paying them back when or is it a, probably going to be an inheritance type vibe? <laughs> What's... Uh, so, but like all of them were just so trusting and I mean, mm. incredibly generous. Um, you know, like dad sold the property and when he moved away, that was all he sort of had and he didn't really have that much. Um, but he loaned me, like, I think it was like a hundred and in the end, he loaned me like 180 grand pretty much. And it was all just stipulated under the fact that <laughs> I think we wrote out, we, well, we wrote out this contract that basically said I had five years interest free. And at the end of that five years, we reevaluate, and then it could just be, you know, whatever we wanted to be then. So, I mean, there were no payments back to any of them and that was like just incredible. Like I, I can honestly say I wouldn't have been able to build this house mm. unless that was the mm. case. And I mean, mm. that was really tough. Like that was hard at the start morally when dad made the, the offer. He, I was really torn about whether I should take it. You know, he's, a, he's in his 80s. It really plays, it played on my mind. Um, mm. what happens if he gets sick and he needs the money and I don't have any way of loaning that money because I have a half-finished house. Um, so that really played on my mind. Uh, but he kept reassuring me that 
by loaning me this money, this is actually helping him and making him feel fulfilled and seeing seeing me build something and and also helping give me a leg up, I guess. So are you physically making payments each week or each month back to your parents at the moment or are you just kicking it down the road for five years and then you'll make the call? Uh, no, no, I'm not paying any back as of yet. Yeah. But I do yeah. plan on getting a – I want to consolidate my loans to pay out my debts basically. Yeah. And now that the house is finished, I want to, you know, draw equity from that and, and yeah, pay them out. And And tell me to get stuffed as usual, but like – you did speak to a mortgage broker conceptually? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, in view to kind of clean all this up and get a mortgage on the property? Yeah, pretty much. Like um, basically I wanted to, well, I want to draw equity from the house and the property yeah. value itself um, Yeah. because I've improved the, vol- the, the value of the property now mm. with this house. Um, and by doing so, I can hopefully get a home loan and then pay out my debts with that, yeah. and then just pay pay the bank. Uh, it's a bit like I mean, it's a bit, yeah. It's it's probably a very unique circum- set of circumstances. Yeah. I can, like I mean, I can say that like our family is not well off. Like we haven't mm. we haven't always had much money. In. But I mean, is it now because you've got a bigger block, you need to save a little bit more of a deposit to actually put a mortgage on the property because it's a hectare or something like that. Uh, I won't actually need to save any money to put in as a deposit for the mortgage. Like I've spoken to the yep. banks um, and they're yep. happy to lend me the money just based on the LVR being like, I mean, I th- I'm guessing at this stage the properties are worth at least probably 350000 Sure. It's probably more than that. But even let's just yep. say it was that and mm. the loan is 120000 Like you're looking at an LVR of you know, 30, 30, low 30%. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But in regards to the the loans, um, yeah, so I did have the loan to dad uh, and sadly he passed away last June uh, in 2021. So, Oh, my apologies. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, he, he was battling cancer for about 18 months. So that was all throughout the build process. Um, mm-hmm. So that like that now goes on to the beneficiaries of the will. I'm, I'm one of them, but there's yeah, a couple of others and I just really... Mm. Morally, I really want to pay them out. Yeah, sure, sure. No, apologies. I, I, I probably should have um, known that before we started no, that's going right. deep. But I, mean... I sound like a bit of a dickhead now. But um, <laughs> no, no, but that's it. We'll, we'll move on. But yeah, it's it's complex, and I guess, and these are the things like I would just say in these type of situations, like you just need to know the lay of the land when stuff does happen. I mean, absolutely, yeah. Like you really, I mean, these are all, like we wrote contracts for all of these loans, but um, I mean, in the end, they're still a handshake mm. um, and they were just so, like they just trusted me so much. that Yeah, so you're just in the position now that you feel morally you would like to pay out some of the beneficiaries, be it your siblings or- Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, definitely. cool. Yeah. Well, we might take a quick break and then we'll come back and just answer heaps of questions uh, in the short time I've got left because at the time of recording, I've got an oven with some potatoes cooking. So <laughs> we'll be back right after this. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we're back. Now... Let's just ask you some of these questions. Yeah, go for it. Okay, what areas of the house, this is from uh, Jean Alido, Olido, what areas of the house did you not compromise on in size because you can't live without the comfort or space and why? <clears throat> um, I think uh, like the kitchen, the bedroom and the bathroom are all, like they're decent enough. Like there's, mm. they've all got full-size bed, full-size oven, it's got a like a um, English sort of butler sink in the kitchen. Heaps of workspace for cooking because that's what we love. Um, the bathroom is a small bathroom. It's got a full size shower, proper toilet, like good vanity. I guess the smallest part in the house would be the living room. So it's sort of blaring between living room and dining room, <laughs> where we don't mm. really have a dining room, but we've got a setup so you can sort of sit in the living room area and and have dinner. But um. I'm really happy with the proportions of the house. Uh, if I was pr- most proud of anything in the house, I rec- well, from the build of the house, I would say it's the proportions. Um, like they fit really well and the space feels like super livable. Even though it is a small house, like people come in here and because we have like this open sort of mezzanine area in the, in the living room, it's got a cathedral ceiling. People just feel like it's it's way bigger inside than they would have expected. So. Yeah, I reckon it's, um, it's done pretty well, to be honest. Yeah, cool. Rachel Connard, what are the major pros of a tiny home versus apartment? Is it genuinely a money saver or do you just really love the outdoors? So are there things, let's flip it the other way. Are there things living in this tiny home that actually annoy you? Uh, no, no. Like I can actually say that I'm, I don't think there's much I would change. I think I would answer that with there's a few different reasons why you would build a tiny home. One, you've either got a small budget, which is like great, and you can build it yourself and and get into the property market with something small. Another one is that you just see the value in building a quality house. So you're still 
you know, you're using really good, really good things inside the house. So like good taps, high quality materials, all these sort of things that are actually quite expensive. But if you build them on a smaller scale, you can have a higher, higher quality. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like that's the route that we went down. Um, so it's like, you know, per square meter, it might be quite expensive. I mean, if you're mm. going to do a, an in podcast Glenn James calculation, <laughs> let's do it like 180,000. Yeah, I'll get my calculator. <laughs> 180,000 divided by 36 square meters. Yeah, it's 5,000 per square meter. Yeah. Actually, let's do 140 because that was the actual house. Yeah. Uh, it's $3,890. Um, let's just do one thing just in comparison. So what did you say? $3,090? Uh, $3,890. So it's probably pretty expensive, but... Yeah. Yo. Hey, I'm just on a podcast recording. Randomly, how much would it cost? Like, so your house that you're building at the moment, have you yep. worked out what the square meter cost is? Oh, uh, no. Okay. Well, you're useless. Um, <laughs> um, 300 grand for, say, 225 square meters. Okay. Well, we know it's... That's going to be it's way right. under... Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's thirteen hundred a square meter ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. No, I'm just talking to a guy Benj who built a tiny home, and it was three thousand yep. dollars a square meter. Yeah, the smallest, so um, a granny flat, which is sixty square meters, they usually cost about a hundred and fifty to two hundred, because you the most expensive part of a house is the kitchen and the bathroom. And they're basically the cost is really realistically the same for a tiny home, a granny flat, or a full size house. The cheapest things to build are living areas and big bedrooms. So the cost sort of yeah don't get dramatic. They don't jump dramatically because they all have kitchens, they all have bathrooms. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks for that, Dirty Mike. See you later. <laughs> so yeah, that was Dirty Mike, friend of mine. He's in building ish or whatever. I guess. Um I guess what I can say from that is that, like, I've tried to use the highest quality materials that I can possibly use mm. um, and systems as well. Uh, and I've saved, like, so much money in terms of labour costs. I mean, I've spent, I think by the time we moved in, it was, like, four, over 4,000 hours. Mm. And if you just charge that out at a rate of $40 an hour, and that's including, yeah. like, building a kitchen, bathroom, all at a high standard, that's, like, 160 grand. But also, if you step back and have a look at it, you've got your tiny home. You love it. It costs one hundred and eighty or whatever. Yeah. Um, who cares? It's your life, and you like <laughs> yeah. what you spent your money on. Yeah. Exactly, um, exactly. So, yeah, Lizzie asked, "What kind of internet connection do you have?" <laughs> yeah. So, um, is there NBN or satellite where you are? Yeah, just NBN fixed wireless. But I mean, we could get Starlink if we want. Yep. But it's probably a bit too expensive for us. Mm. What would you say, uh, Beta Emmanuel? She asked a heap of questions. I think to a, a gal. Um, you know, we, we've answered a lot of these, but what do you think were probably the most unexpected costs? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I can tell you one, which is pretty funny, but maybe other people wouldn't would have expected this. But I did a shower grate in the bathroom. And they have to oh, be fancy. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because it's custom made, it was like six hundred and something bucks, which was definitely a shock. So I'd always mm. planned for it at the start, not knowing what that would cost. Um, 
and yeah, then it hit and I was like, well, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many, like there's literally when you're doing it for the first time, like, especially if you're mm. coming in pretty naive, um, there are so many hidden costs. You literally just have to keep planning as much as possible. I mean, if, I, if there's something I learned from this project, it's how you take your losses. I don't know. You've just got to really take them and take them on board. Yeah, cool. So Jacqueline asks, you know, what was the biggest compromise you had to make? And I'll probably flick that to if you were doing it again, what would you do differently? Um, I, I think I'd... Um, I think I refer to answer Jacqueline's question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, the compromises were just the usual, like not spending much money on anything um, other than the house. <laughs> so I sure. wasn't going out. Yeah. I wasn't doing that much entertaining, you know, like basically to build the house and cash flow myself as well from my job. I just had to throw mm. like everything at it. Like it was I, basically, I had two buckets. One was incredibly tiny and that was keeping me alive and feeding me um, and that was also giving me a few little fun bits here and there. And then the other bucket was just like there was a funnel into it that was just so big. It was just taking everything and funneling it into the cost of the house. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there was a huge compromise on my how much fun I could go and have, you know, that you'd have to pay for. So you have to think of ways of trying to have fun when you actually have time, which I barely had any time anyway but yeah like that's just the usual compromises I think except on an extreme level like it took three and a half years to build three Mm. maybe three years and I was working like in the off season so we basically worked the fire season over the summer for six to seven months and then I'd have five to six months between that season and the next fire season and I would just work my ass off so I think in the last in the last uh, off season I think I had a hundred what was it, 181 available days to work. And I think I worked like 167 of them, 12 to 14 hours a day. <laughs> wow. It was crazy. I mean, there were so many reasons that that was possible. Like it was, yeah, I called it like the perfect storm. <laughs> it was like yeah. dad having cancer um, and trying to get it done before the next fire season started, having a limit, like a finite amount of time. It just created this insane amount of drive that I don't think I would ever be able to pull off again. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like getting up at yeah. 5.30 in the morning, when it's dark, going outside, working on the house until 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night every day for six months. It's um, it's pretty brutal, but I mean, I got it done in the end and it was it was great. But yeah. What does Holly do for work? Uh, Holly was also on the fire crew with myself, uh, but she moved into another role in um, Horsham, in another depot, or sorry, off, she moved into like an office job mm. uh, where she's like an community engagement and communications for the uh, DALP agency who um, organise burns and and whatnot. Did, did you have any, um, particularly for Holly being, I guess, office-based, any work from home lockdowns during COVID in the tiny home? Um, we were still living in the shack when the lockdowns were happening, when I was still building or when we moved in, do you mean? Uh, yeah, when you moved in here. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess we did. Yeah. Because, uh, well, like, yeah, this is, yeah. yeah, and the only reason I asked that is a leading question, like, this tiny home stuff, like. 
it, my personality is not a tiny home guy. Like yeah. I would like to be, but I'm sorry, it's not. And I think that would then play into um, the relationship dynamics as well, right? Like you must really love that quality time all the time, <laughs> close. Definitely. I think it's important that you communicate though and talk to each other about that sort of thing. Um, mm. Like, I mean, we're so fortunate where we live, like it's the country and we've got this incredible, incredible Gary Word landscape, um, bushland, mm. the national park, that we can get outside and escape. Um, but I, like it definitely helps. You definitely need your space. I think in mm. this house it's a bit different because we've got an upstairs and a downstairs and somebody can be downstairs and somebody can be up and you can remove yourself from each other. We've also got like a workshop out in the, the container and that's sort of set up as an office as well. So that's sort of an escape. And then we've got a little shack. So, I mean, I can't say that we're completely just living in the one space mm. all the time together because we have the options to, to get out. But I so totally got, see what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've got lovely high ceilings, which, you know, it looks awesome and it doesn't feel as small, I would imagine, downstairs. Yeah. Um, how high is the structure? Uh, to the peak, it is six and a half metres. Um, so it's actually taller than it is long. So, yeah, it's six metres mm. long, four metres wide, six and a half metres high. So, mm. yeah, it is really high. So when you're standing in the living area and you're looking straight up at the cathedral ceiling, like you're... You're looking up pretty high. Mm. Okay, a couple more questions. And everyone who commented on the Facebook group, we've organically answered a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and the, yeah. and the, the thing I, the reason I did paraphrase Jacqueline's question because we talked about compromises in size, which you didn't have any compromises in size, but in terms of life, you had compromises because you weren't going out, you were working on the, the property or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. Uh, Alyssa Ward. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? A uh, friend of mine on hey, the show from Hobart. Uh, did you have any issues with your council? Heard lots of stories about certain areas not being allowed tiny homes. Yeah, so I guess that one's focused more on ones based on a trailer um, mm. that are portable. So I can't answer that, but I can answer the question about the council. Um, I guess I get asked that fairly often, actually. Uh, I, I think... Um, in my circumstance, I actually didn't have any issues with council whatsoever. Um, and I think it is literally because I just gave them as much detail as I possibly could and yeah, checked every single box that they could possibly give me before handing in my submission. Mm. I also paid people who are professionals and they do that, like planning permits, bushfire management statements and all that sort of stuff. Um, I paid them to write the material up for the submission. And I can... I can wholeheartedly say that you should just do that because. But that's yeah. like any bureaucracy. You've got to gift wrap it for the bureaucracy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah just cross your T's and dot your yeah. I's. All that stuff. I'm just having a look here. Look, was there anything, uh, Ricky Cook, hey, mate, he's a friend of mine. Um, actually went, we're in the same kindergarten class as Ricky and we're still friends. We go full driving <laughs> and all that. Um, he says, is the TV too tiny? Like, do you even have a TV? Yeah, we have a TV, but it's definitely not like the centerpiece of the house. Yeah. Like, it's on the side wall um, and you just look out the front of the house and you've got your mm. push tally and <laughs> just looking at the class. Like, it's an amazing view. Bigger the TV, bigger the bogan, Ricky. But the TV that. is still 42 inch. So, I mean, probably small in today's standards, really, let's mm. be honest. 
I, I've got a question. I think I've answered most of that crap, so we can throw that out. Oh, actually, my notes. Do I need them for the show notes? Sun Power, I'll keep that because I wanted to know what brand your solo was. Um, my question is, uh, if you and Holly so choose and you're willing and able and all that to spawn the earth and populate the earth and all that stuff, uh, future plans for growth, um, yeah. you know, if you want 15 kids, what are your plans? Is it we're going to build another house on the property and then have this as a studio on Airbnb? Like what's future plans look like? Uh, no, we can't really extend this house. Like it's done to its full capacity. Um so yeah, we would probably need to probably need to buy another house or build another house of some description. Um, but is your current block big enough to build not a tiny house, but maybe a medium house <laughs> or a, a tiny house Mark II? <laughs> yeah, no, not really. Like we've basically used up all the space that we can now. Oh, okay. So um, there wasn't much usable space on your. No, like there's a covenant, okay. uh, like a building envelope. Sorry, not a covenant. Sure. Um, where we had to build the house and we've used that up now. It was very specific. So, again, that really reaffirms like keeping the place as minimal impact as possible. Um, so, and we basically mm. returned the entire hill to plants, like the garden. The whole hill is a garden now. So, there's nowhere mm. to put a house anymore other than where this one is. Yeah, right. So, what does the future look like for your current property? Uh I would definitely like to run it as a business. So I went into the project with the idea that, um, geez, it's like father, like son, like building accommodation. <laughs> yeah, I went into this knowing that the outcome would be to run it as a business. Um, so my next stage in life is to run this as a B&B, hopefully. I never really knew how long the project was going to take. Like it took way longer than I thought it was going to take, but it was a beautiful journey in the end. Um, but it was always the plan to move into the house, live in it for a while, work out the kinks, get it looking nice, just figure out how it functions mm. and then, yeah, turn it into a business and, and hopefully rent it out for other people to enjoy. So that is the goal. Um, and I'm currently trying to do just cram as much business research in as possible. So your uh, my millennial business has been great. I've been waking up here with you every morning at five thirty, mate, carting rocks on the garden for an hour well, and a half before work. Bless you. And we've actually yeah. So if you are interested in side hustles, small businesses, and all that, my millennial business. It's a banging podcast. We've got a new host, uh, Fabio Dos Reese. He's going to host oh, really? that wow. podcast. Awesome. Um, so his photo will be on the cover. He's going to do it. But because I love small business so much, I've reserved the right to jump on and do a business takeover rant whenever I want. So Yeah, please do. Um, they're actually really, mm. like I've really been enjoying them. I think they're fantastic. Mm. Cool. So I guess from one tiny home to another, I've got a little townhouse, but it's not really <laughs> a tiny home. Any final words of advice, practical advice for people? Oh, geez. Um, I wrote a bit of a list here. So I'm just oh, yeah. Quickly... Do you want to just read them out? Yeah. Uh, the how and the learnings. Um, SketchUp, which is CAD software. It's free um, and it's incredible. So I basically designed the house in SketchUp probably like four or five times. Uh, and then I utilized SketchUp as my measurement system and as I built the house I would just take measurements from SketchUp apply them in the real world uh, with 
the materials that I had sometimes because they're recycled, they change the actual dimensions a little bit. Um, so you just alter it back in SketchUp and then, yeah, it's so it's like literally probably the, it is actually, sorry, the most powerful tool that I had for the entire build. It was, it's incredible. Um, so yeah, it's benefit to your project is, cannot be understated for sure. Uh, I think planning, like that is just like anything in life. Planning is so important. Uh, plan as much as possible. Uh, I mean, if you're naive, <laughs> which I was, uh, you've got to try and cover yourself. So you've got to try and research and plan on the go prior to wherever possible because you want to minimise your risk of making a mistake and you're definitely going to make them, but that's okay. Like there's always a way around them. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's how you handle the mistakes that make you who you are, I reckon, and that's what will really define your project. Uh, I've got another CAD software in there, which is Fusion 360, really good for sheet metal stuff, probably not applicable to everybody. In a small space, like every centimetre matters, like it's so important. So build storage space in everything, like literally everything, in your bed, in your chairs, in your wall cavities. You know, you've got a 90 mil internal wall, you've got 90 mil cavity, utilise that space. <laughs> you can put something in there, like you can put it everywhere and you will thank yourself for it because you can store lots of good stuff in all those hidden places. Um, and that takes lots of planning. Like that, I reckon that's where a lot of my time went. Would you say before you embark, uh, go on Airbnb in a couple of tiny homes just to get a vibe for what other people have done? Yeah, that's definitely a valid point. I reckon that'd be great. I mean, there's a really good show. Like, there's heaps of tiny home shows on YouTube now, but mm. the best one is Living Big in a Tiny House, so this New mm. Zealand couple who make that. Um, and they put up a video every week of a tiny home, and you can get so many different ideas. They're primarily tiny homes on wheels, but um, if you want to get immediate research in that's fun uh, and really helpful, just watch all of those episodes back to back. It'll take you about a year, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, don't underestimate the power of your friends and connections, like networking and everything like that. Um, just be open with people and talk to them about what you're doing and they might be able to help you out. Um, mm. Barter systems are great, you know, not paying for something but returning the favour somehow else. But just just be strict on how that will work. Um, some people just want to do stuff for you for free and you, can mm. bet you, can't, <laughs> you can't even insist on paying them. That's like my staff. They just... Are awesome. Oh, yeah, There's four of them. They work for free, <laughs> and sure. they just—they're like, no, 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 don't pay us, don't pay us. If you do stuff yourself, like it's going to save you a lot of money. Um, mm. I think the biggest learning I had from this whole project is time. Like everything is literally traded in time. So if you want to speed up the process, you have to trade money. Um, if you want to get something and you don't have the money, you've got to do it yourself, or mm. you've got to wait till you've got the money. Um, so by doing stuff yourself, uh, you're saving a lot of cash, but it increases the time. So I basically did like 90% of the work on this house by myself um, and that increased the time that it took. So I definitely think that's a really good one to consider. Um, and also on that, let the professionals do their job. <laughs> so I didn't do the plastering. Thank goodness I didn't do that. Um, I had somebody pour this lab for me. I just helped. But, I mean, that is the foundation of the house, so I just didn't want it to be wrong. Mm. And then I didn't do the bricklaying. I just was the brickies bitch, as you'd probably say, and helped out with that. Um, 
but then after that, I pretty much did most of the other stuff. Are you cool if I just keep reading some of three some of these? Or? Yeah, just keep reading. I'm just going to go and check on my oven. Go for it, mate. Gonna, go for it. You just keep reading. I'm going to turn the, the so I'll be able to hear it. Yeah, no Turn my speaker up. <laughs> go. Yeah, so always be open to adjusting your design. Yeah, I think it's really important that as you go along and as you're building, don't think that you know everything, um, especially if you're new to this. Uh, yeah, if, uh, if people have got suggestions, it's, you know, have the right people to spitball ideas with um, soundboard and whatnot um, because it's really important to get external advice on something you're thinking about doing. Did you have to turn away the energy from the naysayers? I think that's down or, to character. I think yeah. I think I was just so fixated on the project and I knew exactly what I wanted and I designed it to like the nth degree um, before I had started. I just had this whole vision in my head that nobody else could see. And if you're like that, mm. you just have to trust yourself and back yourself. Um, and it's also really hard then to tell people like what your vision is because it's just in your mind. <laughs> and when people do make comments like, yeah, it is hard to take, you, ha- you should take it on board, definitely. But if you know what you want and you can back it up with like supporting evidence that you think will make it work, just back yourself. Like trust your gut. That is another one. Trust your gut. <laughs> if you've got enough evidence to support your decision, then trust it for sure. Mm, yeah, I've got one here. Utilize the well-trodden path. Talk with those who've done something similar. Use their experience to develop and improve your own. So there's no point reinventing the wheel. Um, there's mm. a few cliches for you, but there just really isn't any point. Like if something's been done before, the whole building and construction industry is set up on standards. Like there's standard sizes and things for everything that's, you know, all the building materials and whatnot that you can get to build a house. So it makes things cheaper. Uh, there's certain ways of doing things that make them more efficient. Um, there's certain ways of doing things that make them higher quality. Like it's, it's important to surround yourself with people who can give you some good advice around how they've approached some, something. So like, I don't know, maybe there's communities out there or there would be forums and stuff where you can ask these questions. But if you can surround yourself with actual physical people that you know, and you trust, it's so important and so helpful. Um, and, and on that, like, <laughs> have a small team around you that you trust um, and also use trade people that you trust as well. Like it's just building up that rapport um, means that when somebody comes and works on your project that you can just stand back and let them do their thing and trust them and know that they're going to do the right thing, which takes out a lot of anxiety. Probably for most people. For me, I was anxious all the time when somebody else came and worked on my project, but that's because I was such a control freak and wanted to do everything. But, you know, that's all right. <laughs> all right, bring it home, Benj. All right, all right, all right. You know what? This is uh, pretty applicable across a lot of things. Um, compounding seems to be something that's really important in money, but it's also applicable to building. So I've written here the importance of chipping away day by day, little by little, Uh, and watching the compounding effect take hold in the form of progress. Uh, So like I said before, I've been getting up at 5.30 every morning before work and putting rocks on the garden. So I'm trying to mulch the garden with rocks. It's a massive job. Like there's, I've literally done like 250 barrow loads and there's probably another 150 to go. You'll have to put some uh, 
current photos up of the the garden progress and all that on your Instagram. Definitely, definitely. I'm hoping to do a little tour sometime soon. Yeah, um, yeah, which cool. I'll try and do before this episode goes live. Yeah. But yeah, like every day I just do an hour and a half, hour of rock carting in the dark <laughs> before work. And then at the end of the week, I can look back and I can see that I've covered so many square meters or there's a wall being built or something like that. Mm. And, you know, if you just keep chipping away, like that's what happens. Like it's amazing. It's, it's quite surprising. And the same thing happened with the house, although on much more intense level and much longer hours for the day. But I chipped away every single day, especially in that last six months. Um, and I got there, got to the end, and yeah, we had a house to live in. So compounding and just doing little by little. Like, if you've got a bit of spare time at home and you're not doing anything and you're watching TV and you've got a project to work on, you should probably just ask yourself maybe if I just slip out and do like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, if you can. Mm. It'll, it'll help. Like, it's massive. I don't know. You've probably seen the same thing in your business as well. Well, and, and that's it. Like, I, I really, you know, with my life, you know, I, you know, the TV isn't the hero of my living room. It's to the side and it doesn't mean I'm always having to watch TV. And, you know, if you know who's getting married at, on married first sight or <laughs> you know who's about to get voted off the Survivor Australia Island or whatever, it means you actually have spare time in your life to work on stuff that matters. You've just chosen. And I get downtime and recreation and all that. So go with me, everyone. Like yeah. we've made the choice that- you know, it's habit that we watch a show every night on TV versus, well, why don't I watch one show and then not binge it and then the next day well, and then after that I work on my project. So Definitely. I mean, it's all about self-control in the end as well mm. and how much motivation, mm. how much drive you have. Mm. I definitely think it's important. Like I'll just really go back on that um, point about having a support network. You you can't underestimate the importance of friends mm. and family and just people who can be there to just offer advice on a technical level but also emotional support. Like it's so important because mm. um, if you're working yourself to the bone, somebody needs to be able to pull you up and tell you like you need to stop or you need to be able to talk about how it's affecting you emotionally and, you know, like if you're working so much that you can't be social, like that's going to be detrimental to your own mental health. And I certainly noticed that in myself um, mm. and may have pushed it a bit too far, but, I mean, it was so important that I could talk to friends and family about that. Mm. All right. We might leave it there. Thanks for your sage advice. You can follow um, and have a look at the tiny home, nook underscore on mm-hmm. underscore the underscore hill Please do. on Insta. I'll try and put up some more <laughs> some more yeah. content for people to watch. But you can basically watch it from breaking earth to completion and moving in. Yeah, scroll down to yeah. the bottom. Everyone will probably yeah. be there. Uh, thanks for lending us your time and giving us some practical tips. Oh, you're welcome. And, um, yeah, on behalf of everyone at My Millennial Money, thank you. And thanks to Holly as well for all the work she's put in on the on the tiny home as well. Couldn't have done it without her. Definitely could not have done it without her. I feel like so I could talk about this for hours, mate, but... Um, Mm. You have to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some potatoes waiting for you. <laughs> there is potatoes waiting and, uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on and I would just like to take this opportunity to also thank you for everything you do with your podcast and everything else. Like I've learned so much from you and, um, yeah, it's just super helpful, mate. Like it's obviously much more than just making money for you, like so much more. 
it's about helping people and you've helped me certainly yeah no worries well i really appreciate that and it's it's just great to um when we do these type of episodes that like i get to talk to people who listen and consume our content and yeah like you get to give back to this community you know what i mean so yeah definitely and i mean if any if anybody on that if anybody's got questions <laughs> and i may be opening up pandora's box here but if anybody's got slide any into the dm <laughs> chuck them in the dms of the instagram or on that my millennial money post about tiny houses like just yeah chuck them in there for sure and i'll try and answer as yep. many as possible awesome all right see you soon cheers mate thank you We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.